Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Queer Talk, a queer podcast that brings you positive news stories and fabulous interviews. Hi. Hi. Today we are joined by Sheena Carmichael. Sheena is a long-standing member of the LGBTQ plus community in London, having worked and volunteered a lot of her time over the years to Terence Higgins Trust, Bi Pride, Pride in London, and I'm sure many more LGBTQ plus charities along the way. On top of all of that, today it is Sheena's birthday. So happy birthday, darling. It's so good to have you here with us on your birthday. Thank you. (laughs) I won't mention how old I'm turning. 21, right? (laughs) Yeah, 21 again. And again. again. (laughs) To be honest, you look like you're in your 20s. I've always told you this. Thanks. (laughs) You're too kind. Age is but a number. And also, it just makes you wiser than the rest of us. So we can't can't critique you for that. Exactly. Also, aging is a great process. You know, I love it. Happens to me every day. (laughs) Welcome to Queer Talk. It's good to have you on, finally. (laughs) Nice to be here. I'm Sheena. My pronouns are she, her. I am a lesbian who probably volunteers too much and does too much in the community in terms of that. But, you know, all worth it. I like how you describe it as too much. Um, (laughs) Like it's a slightly negative slant, but I know what you mean. It's it's like you do a lot. Yeah, there was a point a year or so ago where I felt like I was volunteering for too many different places mm. and kind of toned it back partly because of the pandemic partly just for my mental health yeah but yeah a lot of lgbt people want to give back to the community um mm-hmm. especially when the community has been very nice to them uh, you know coming out and finding safe spaces and chosen families yeah, um, sure. so we, we want to give back but it's it's a danger t- that we give too much of our time and our energy and then burn out yeah, and volunteering can also just be quite a rush. Mm. You know, we get to go to a lot of cool places and do a lot of cool things, especially Pride in London, meet a lot of great people. So it can be quite a rush to, you know, you think, oh, I've got more time, I can do more things. But yeah. sometimes you need to remember that you can't. Because how long have you um, worked slash volunteered for Pride in London? If there'd been a Pride in 2020, it would have been six Prides. Six Prides, wow. six years of organising so, Pride. Yeah. I mean, my first two years, I was a, you know, root volunteer, so I wasn't organising. But then I met people on the core team and then was told I wasn't allowed to not be core team anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're you're part of the Pride family, so you're not allowed Mm. to leave. So I guess having volunteered and and also worked for Pride for six years, you kind of know how much of a task it is. It's a huge operation to put on a big Pride for a, you know, a significant city and you know sometimes we feel like it's too much because it's, there's a lot of work to do but we do it because we love it what's kind of kept you coming back each year to do like I know you, you do Pride in London but you've also volunteered time for by Pride so what kind of brings you back to these charities and these events it's the people really so many of my friends are involved with Pride in London either because I met them through Pride in London 
and the other organisations I volunteer for, or because I've made them volunteer for those other organisations. Made um, them. <laughs> yeah, like pre- pre-existing friends who I've then kind of brought into Pride or people that I've met through Pride that become friends. And as I said, it's, it is a rush. There's very few things that you can do in the world that will lead you to closing the busiest shopping street in Europe for a day. You know, there's few things that you can be involved with that can have you at six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning on a scooter down Regent Street with the police not telling you off because you're supposed to be there and you're supposed to be doing that. You know, there's very few things that can kind of give you the high of, you know, one minute rushing to deal with an incident and the next minute taking the person who designed the more inclusive flag backstage at Pride in London to meet Billy Porter with Willem from Drag Race, you know? It's like there's very few times when you can kind of combine all of your loves. And I'm so passionate about the queer community and about Pride. Like when I used to go to Pride when I was a teenager, I didn't have Pride in the city I grew up in. Like Aberdeen Pride only started a couple of years ago. Grampian Pride, it's called. But I had to come back down to London, where I was originally from, to be able to experience that. The first Pride I went to as an adult was um, Mardi Gras in Sydney. And I think that being such an incredible pride just gave me this like bug of like, I want to go, I want to go to as many prides as I can. I want to be involved, stand and I would watch pride and I would watch it from the other side of the barriers. And I was like, it's not enough. Didn't have enough contact. I didn't feel like I was part of the community. It didn't feel like, you know, someone watching me when I had long hair and was much more femme than I am now. Like somebody watching me on one side of the barrier at Pride could think that I was just any, I was just another ally who'd come along to watch it, which obviously allies are very important, but I didn't feel like it was identifying me as part of the community. I didn't feel like I was really involved in it. And then Pulse happened and I was like, okay, I need to do more. And I volunteered for Pride and the rest is history. (laughs) But that's what keeps coming back, keeps me coming back is the people. I've met so many people through it. That's so great. Pulse being the, the massacre that happened in America. Yeah, I went yeah. to the vigil that happened 24 hours later in Old Compton Street yeah. and people were handing out volunteer with us cards for Pride in London and okay. I took one and I volunteered on the bus home and since then my room is now filled with those volunteer with us cards and it's kind of <laughs> taken over my life. It's crazy because... I think my first Pride that I attended was Pride in London, but I think it was only two or three years ago. It's crazy. And I think like you, I struggle to be in the crowd at something. I want to know how it works and I want to be, I want to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Ideally, I would like to be centre stage, you know, doing something crazy, but I appreciate I'm not Billy Porter. (laughs) Not, you know, not yet. Not yet, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's very inspiring to see that you just were like, it's not enough for me to be here. And I think that's kind of grasping a hold of your privilege to some extent and being like, yeah. I can do more. I have more to offer to make yeah. sure that this is this works for more people and for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I went from standing on the sidelines to volunteering to changing my career to working in event management because I wanted to work in, um, I wanted to be more involved with things like that. And then, yeah. you know, when I was working in events, I've helped out at other award shows and things like that for the LGBT community and like while I've done so many massive events in my day job it's not the same as putting on a pride it's not the same as any of our queer events they all just have a different vibe and a different energy and a different power that invigorates you in a different way but I think Spencer I can't imagine you not being 
in at the center stage backstage anyway right <laughs> like i i'm not going to be no usher at the no. side of the road like i'm either i'm either in the middle of the stage like setting up the mic and doing that doing the test uh or or not at all yeah or you're, you're talking to two organizers of pride yeah. london that will make sure that this never happens. That Spencer's saying they want to volunteer, so, you know. <laughs> you, you've, ju- you've just emailed the head of security, making sure that I get nowhere near that stage. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to put you in a box, but speaking to you and your demographic, and you're saying that queer stuff kind of hits differently, queer events hit differently. As a lesbian and a queer woman, do you feel that Pride events in particular, and queer events in particular, are inclusive of queer women? And if not, how do we go about making that happen? Yeah, not always. But I feel it's really important to say that queer events are not always inclusive of people in the community who are not cis, white and male. Mm -hmm. And that inclusivity for any group should be increasing inclusivity for all groups. I don't want to increase visibility for lesbians who look like me if it doesn't include my trans lesbian sisters and my women of colour sisters. Yeah. I don't care about more white lesbian spaces if they're not inclusive. I think that it's great some of the things that have been done, like having the women's stage at Pride in London. But one, but things that bother me, I think, while it's a great idea to have a stage that highlights more female performers and creates a more female inclusive space, I worry that it ghettoizes women into like this is the women's space rather than it being on the main stage. Yeah, With, right. while there isn't theoretically a main stage at Pride in London and I'll get told off by Ian Massa Harris for having called Trafalgar Square the main stage there. (laughs) People perceive Trafalgar Square as the main stage and so it's like but I think Ian's done a really good job of making sure there are women on all the spaces and that there are non-binary people and trans people across Mm. the lineup of performers across the entirety of Pride but I think that it's just something that we have to keep in the back of our minds of like just because someone's a woman doesn't mean they need to perform in the women's space because I think more gay men can benefit from having women performers in their lives and women just in their lives in general. Like last year at Pride in London or the last Pride in London that we were able to have, it was started by the Dykes on Bikes, which is always my favourite part of any Pride. They're at the front of the Pride. Yeah. You know, they took over the road. They were a strongly anti-transphobic message of lesbian inclusivity at Pride in London, we're mm. often accused by the people who would seek to stop our trans siblings from being part of the community to, of being anti-lesbian because they think that their idea of what a lesbian is is the only idea of what a lesbian is. I don't think that that's why I'm so strongly like we can't increase lesbian visibility without increasing les- visibility for women of colour, for trans women, yeah. because the, otherwise you you run the risk of increasing turf visibility. And that's not what we ever want to be like. To me, Pride in London has never not been lesbian inclusive. You know, behind the scenes, there are strong lesbian women running Mm. the show every turn. It might not look that way to somebody who's looking at a parade group walking down down Regent Street, but maybe we need to be more vocal to our sponsors, to our um, corporates who are involved, to all the other groups who are involved, that we are lesbian inclusive and that they need to put lesbians and non-binary people and bisexual pe- people 
at the front of their groups. You know, yeah. we did it in 2019. We said, you know, you need to raise visibility of trans people, not just us, because us doing it doesn't do enough. And so many groups like stepped up to that and did it. They were all carrying trans flags. They were all having trans people, you know, mm -hmm. Barclays had trans people from their organization at the front of the their group, you know, down to the smallest groups that walked in pride all had trans visibility. We need to make sure that that happens for bi people, for lesbians, for people of colour, for yeah. trans people, for non-binary people, you know, but I think that opening up visibility and inclusivity for one group, if it's only for white women, doesn't do anything, doesn't improve anything. Especially in summer 2020, when Black Lives Matter protests were happening and also unofficial pride kind of protests. And when all that was happening, there's a lot of sentiments about trans black women matter. And I think what I took away from that was if you resolve equality and access for people of colour, trans women, then you kind of you're, you're on the right way to solve equality for everyone. Yeah, totally. I think that that's really that's really the important thing to keep in mind if we hmm. make sure that our prides are inclusive for people of color for trans people for disabled people um, yeah. then we end up creating a much more inclusive pride for everybody i don't know it's kind of a no-brainer that the but, more inclusive you make a pride the more and the more you make people feel like they're included who are the most marginalized and the least included in our society everything else kind of falls into place like dominoes you know exactly it's yeah like, yeah, we don't need to be starting with more visibility for white women. <laughs> and I say that as a white woman. It's definitely, it's it's quite a big task, but it's one that we should definitely take on because I look at stuff a lot. A lot of people, uh, a lot of like companies and stuff that put out applications, they say like, you know, everybody welcome. In particular, we want, you know, LGBT people or people of colour. And I don't know that, I mean, with a job application, it's it's a little bit different. But in terms of being inclusive, it's not enough to say that everybody's welcome. No. And I mean, I think from job applications, it comes from the research that says that white men will apply when they are something like 40% qualified for a job, whereas right. women and people of colour won't apply unless they're 100%, if not 110% qualified for a job. So yeah. I think a lot of the time it's calling out that we want you even if you think you're not 100% qualified but yeah. i think in our community like i just don't know why it's why it's hard to make our pride like um, obviously at pride in london i think that we're doing a great job of making pride more inclusive in the t in the 6 years that i've been involved with pride it's become yeah. a much more inclusive place and a and a place where i feel like maybe it's just because i've become more involved but it feels like the voices of people of colour and of women are being amplified and trans people are being amplified. And maybe that's yeah. because we've gone through things that showed that they weren't being amplified enough. And it may be reactionary, but it's better than, you know, it, even if it comes from a reaction of being called out by the community advisory board or having TERFs invade the parade, yeah. it's still the right direction and it's still changing things for the better. And I think even if it comes from a difficult place that makes us all be really self-reflective. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who think that Pride in London has a lot more to do. And I agree with them. And I say that as somebody who has been involved with Pride for a long time. But I also think that the day that we stop think trying to be better and the day that we think we've got nothing more to do is the day we should stop running Pride. Yeah. yeah. And let someone else do it. A hundred percent. I think with everything, it takes a long time to regain that trust, mm -hmm. right? Because, I mean, we've we've brought up Pride in London a lot. You say, like, you know yourself from being there over the last six years, you've seen it improve year after year in terms of inclusivity and visibility and amplifying trans and 
POC voices, but some people aren't in the know of the work you've done behind the scenes, and not just you, but, you know, Pride in London have done behind the scenes. And so regaining their trust and those people's trust is is going to be an, a very long process just because that's how it is. 100%. And I think that it should be. Yeah, no matter how much work you do, you could get it 100% right one year. But people are still, because Pride in London are one of the leaders in Pride, Mm -hmm. you're always going to be under like a magnifying glass. People are going to be looking for what you're doing wrong. Yeah, and I mean, just look at how much being held to account has made Pride in London a better organisation. 100%. You know, and I think that being held to account is a really important thing. And I love the standard that we're held to. I just think that other prides of a similar stature need to be held to the same account. Maybe that's very controversial. You don't need to hesitate, Um, Machina. You can be controversial. No naming names. I mean, I have to say I'm not on the board at Pride in London. I'm not the person who makes the decisions. That's Um, what I've seen. I I am. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I know I totally agree with you. Like, we do care a lot about what the community think of us. Yeah. And it's not always the most enjoyable place to be when you feel like the organization you're volunteering your time for or your free time is being constantly hit with criticism but it is an organization that takes that on board and tries its best to implement solutions for the next year yeah i think it would be really interesting to <laughs> i don't think this is something we will will ever do or maybe should ever do but it'd be really interesting for people to like live stream fly on the wall and all teams meeting to see yeah. how much like we don't all agree it's not oh. it and it's not always led by the board and it's not you know everybody has a voice and everybody has a say and they listen to people even you know yeah. the board listens to people from like the most entry level kind of voluntary roles at pride in london right up to the directors and deputy director's roles and I think that's really important and I think that's something that actually the co-chairs of Pride in London do really well is that they do take on board criticism from within and I think it would be really interesting to see for people to see the like levels of criticism but I also think it might also help people to see how thoughtful people are at Pride in London about the community and about the community that we serve because we do serve the community it's not like i don't think anybody thinks that like the community owes us anything we we're the custodians of pride in london at the moment in london but that doesn't mean that we are the only people who have ever run pride in london or will ever run pride in london and you know we look to our history of the people who've run it before us we look to the uh, glf and you know people that have been running pride in london for so long and we look forward and there are people who volunteer who've been helping helping run pride in london of some form or other for like 25 plus years and that's insane to me i think when you volunteer for the uh, not just pride in london but all lgbt organizations Mm -hmm. It's, for me at least, um, it's just a really nice way to meet the actual community. And I say actual community being, I don't know, I'm from Brighton, so like just gay bars. Yeah. Um, without sounding too crude. It's a nice way to meet people beyond that and beyond just yeah. gay male spaces. Especially because we're a community that doesn't really have non-alcoholic related spaces. Or if we do, they're few and far between. Yeah. So... You've just done a really gorgeous job of leading us into the next question, um, which which I appreciate dearly. It's nice to work with professionals, you know, who absolutely just lead the interview for me. I'll just, I'll just, I was going to say I'll go home like we're not already all locked in our bedrooms, but um, hey, I'm in my living room. Honestly, I'll I'll just leave now, and you you can just you can carry on. <laughs> so Sheena, moving away from Pride events and moving into queer spaces, where are your favourite queer spaces in London or? elsewhere that you would usually spend time pre-covid it's a bit of a tricky one because there aren't that many traditional lesbian bars left in london when i first Mm -hmm. moved back to london i grew up in london moved to scotland moved back down to london in 2008 ish 
Um, and there were three lesbian bars left in London when I moved back. And now there's one specifically lesbian bar and a lot of lesbian queer women led nights. So they're not, I, you know, lesbian is a, it's one of those terms. It's like, I don't like the fact that I've said lesbian bar, but I wouldn't judge a gay man for calling a gay bar a gay bar. But I feel like I'm being, I'm excluding bi women and non-binary people who should be safe in queer female spaces if they want to be. So, you know, maybe just queer female-led spaces. So before lockdown, my favourite night was probably Southbank Surfing, which is a monthly lesbian and queer women meet-up night. I like it because it is a slightly older crowd, and obviously I'm turning um, the day this comes out. Uh... (laughs) There are a lot of spaces that don't, that, and it doesn't, it's not like a club night. It's a night in a bar where people can chat. There's no music on. It's just, or there's like normal bar music in the background, but it's not like... loungy music. Yeah, it's just a kind of bar in Clerkenwell where you can, which I know it doesn't make sense from the name, but initially Mm. they um, did a a pub crawl during the BFI Flare Festival. So that was how Southbank Surfing got its name. Um, now it's just become a night in a bar. I hope that it survives. I've got this list of club nights and like, like queer female club nights. And I was like t- gonna talk about them. And I'm like, I really hope that they all survive lockdown because obviously we were so, it places, were, nights were struggling beforehand. Hmm. Bars were struggling beforehand. It's now like even worse. Like, but you know, the she bar is like the only kind of actual lesbian bar in London or female bar in London. Yeah. There's a lot of spaces that women kind of carve out for themselves. So like downstairs at GAY is seen as like a queer female space, but it's not in any way, shape or form officially that, you know. Um, But my favourite space was probably not even a queer-led space. It's probably The Glory in East London because The Glory is just one of those incredibly inclusive spaces of everyone. Yeah. So I feel like I can go with my entire group of queer friends and they'll all fit in and they'll all be happy there. You know, I don't have to worry that somebody is non-binary, somebody is male, somebody's trans, somebody's bi. You know, I don't have to worry that people are not going to be accepted. That's so true because when it comes to my birthday, I'm always thinking I'm going to be seeing all my friends at the same time. So some straight friends, like gay friends, lesbian friends, and I'm like, what, which bar can I take them to? And I, if I think going to a gay bar, like, I do want to go to a bar like Two Brewers. I almost stop myself as I'm like, oh, it's not going to be, not everyone's going to enjoy it like I would. Um, but the glory is definitely one of those places where I think I could take anyone I know yeah. and have a good time. And then in central London, probably the Yard, which again is not a female-led space, but is just mm. a feels more inclusive space than going to somewhere that is much more male dominated but then What's... just want to give shout out to some of the other great nights out there butch please at the rvt which mm. has probably the best name of any um <laughs> queer night um in london yeah. and obviously caters to butchers which are amazing people pussy palace which is particularly focused on trans women of color non-binary people and women um yeah. and aphrodite which is another one with an amazing name lesbians <laughs> clearly have the best names for club nights so aphrodite yeah it's really clever yeah <laughs> i enjoy this so much imagine being that person who comes up with aphrodite and be like yeah no i just brought this into existence it has to be a club like, it has to be something right and then outside of london uh in manchester what she said club which is um and 
uh, recurring night run by my friend Rasheen, who DJs on Gadio. Um, and I know it might sound like a silly question, and it might have a simple answer, but what's so important about having bases for queer women? And if someone is, I'm probably playing devil's advocate now, I'm like, why can't you just mix in? Um, I think maybe, it, I think it's kind of, one of those questions of like, but why do you need to be separate when it's about your own community? But if you mix in and the majority dominant group doesn't make space for you, yeah. then you're not really mixing in. You're just kind of part of a space. Like I go to gay bars that are like male dominated gay bars and I feel like there's more straight women there than there are queer women. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, and those straight women get really offended if you hit on them. Like, if you accidentally make the mistake of thinking they might be queer. Not all of them, obviously, not all straight women. Um, but I have definitely had experiences before of either being turned away from gay bars. You know, I remember going to G.O.Y. back when it was at the Astoria. So I'm aging myself here because um, the Astoria has now been knocked down. Um, but being turned away for looking too straight. And that has been a history of my, like from when I first came out in my early 20s, like going to gay bars and being turned away for looking too straight with my girlfriend being like, I don't know what more I can do. I'm literally in the queue holding yeah. hands, kissing my girlfriend. They're like, mm, too many girls in tonight. You look too straight. But it was just, and I, I don't feel like that's really gone away. I go to gay bars a lot. I feel comfortable in them. I love yeah. gay men. You know, many of my best friends are gay men, but I think sometimes you need a space that is just people like you that reflects you i remember going to on a date to bfi flare festival and we walked out from seeing the film that we'd been seeing and uh walked into the bar at bfi and it was just lesbians as far as the eye could see and i think we both were just like oh god is this what it's like to be normal like mm, just to, to go out and yeah to be the majority to just go out and see people that reflect you constantly it was just like it was just really nice a sea of lesbians sea of lesbians <laughs> <laughs> sounds dreamy it was it was <laughs> you know as i was saying i think it's really important that we have queer spaces that are not alcohol driven and I think that it's really important that we protect places like um, Gaze the Word, the book club, <laughs> that's obviously a bookshop that is not um, a community space anymore because it's not as big as it once had as much space, doesn't have as much community space that it did. But I think yeah. it's really important to protect that. There's also, I think it's really important that there are two community centres um, in London. Um, the Outside Project has a community centre attached to it. They're a homeless charity for LGBT people. Um, but they also have community centre. And then the LGBT, uh, London LGBT Community Centre, which uh, crowdfunded a couple of years ago and then got some money from the government, um, is creating a community space as well. And then there's a couple of youth spaces and some spaces for older people. But there doesn't really seem to be, like my, my bugbear is that there's not that like open space that anyone could go to that is not alcohol driven, that could have a night for, or could have a, could have community groups for, you know, people of colour, for trans people, for, that could be a meeting space that's not, that's like a cafe or something like that, that's just not driven around alcohol, that could let us all see people that reflect us, could let, could be a safe space where 14 year olds like me when I was struggling with the fact that I might be queer could mm -hmm. go to and also see 26 year olds who are very comfortable and very okay in their sexuality and living their life but without it being weird you know yeah 
So if I if I was to hand you a blank check right now that I would write any number on, <laughs> all the money I have, I, honestly I'm broke, so I like, don't get too excited. But if I was to do this, um, how would you use it? What what would your dream queer woman space? look like and what would that involve what kind of nights would you put on you don't need to come up with great names like Aphrodite <laughs> but yeah um yeah I probably thought about this too much um from when Pride in London started having um a shot and the one of the years that we did it we had a real semblance of a community space that felt like it was the start of something and I have a dream that I've probably thought of too much dream space that would be kind of it would have like kind of two halves to the space um, and big glass windows is my dream onto like Old Compton Street or something like that. Because I think it should be a central space that's accessible to everybody. Because I think while there's some really great initiatives going on in local areas, it means that if particularly in London, if you're young and you don't have access to be able to travel across to Wandsworth or Woolwich or wherever then because like Wandsworth has a great over 50s coffee morning and Woolwich has drop-ins for over 50s as well for, like making the older queer people feel part of the community still but which I've been involved with the Wandsworth one at one point but I think that it's really important that we have like a central thing as well so one side of it would be a shop during the day and the other half would be a cafe during the day with lots of cozy couches with books that were not for sale but were donated or on loan from somewhere like Goes the Word or Hausman's Books or something potentially so it was promoting community spaces that we have as well that would have uh, zines and magazines available to read it would be you know home-baked goods the shop would sell things made by community members so it would be almost like Etsy in person but for queer people particularly so not just things with a flag slapped on them but people's art people's like i don't know just whatever people are making that they want to sell clothes harnesses whatever people have to sell um would you like a harness with your croissants yes exactly (laughs) some art on the walls that would be for sale but also young and not so young queer people could have a space to present their art it would be a space that could be used by community groups as well um and then in the evening while i don't think that i would want it to be a space that would always turn into a bar and always be open in the evening it would be a space that could be used for evening events as well so it could turn into a bar it could turn into just even just stay as a cafe but for people to use the space it could have dj sets it could have non-binary evening it could have lewis oakley who i know your friends with spencer he ran a bi men's night at the bi men's night out at the pride in london shop for the last few years and i'd love to be able to like you know to say to lewis like do that more regularly in a space mm-hmm. like this have a space where bi men can come together and discuss the issues that are particularly pertinent to your community um have you know be able to invite uh, positive east and tht down to do testing if they you know, need a space, be able to offer 5016 Street um, to use the space if they wanted to do outreach, be able to offer clinic cure space for trans people to be able to come after clinic and just have as a community safe space that is, you know, there in part of the community that's really embedded and heart of the community. I remember speaking to, whilst being in the Pride in London shop, speaking to people who ran a, a LGBT house in Israel it was in Tel Aviv and they were said that they were there year round and it had bedrooms that people it was you know people it wasn't a homeless shelter 
but there was spaces that people could rent rooms long short term or long term if they needed a space to live um and it could be part you know people could be could get jobs within the space who were living in those spaces who were part of that community or just yeah. young people who maybe just come out somewhere that they can get a job working behind the counter where they can be themselves, where they can dress as the gender that they are rather than the gender that they were assigned as birth, where they can, you know, be safe and confident in that space. And it could be a space where people can leave flyers and can, you know, just a general community hub that really feels to me is it's something that we're missing. You've given this a lot of thought. I have. Have you written this all down in some sort of business plan and like <laughs> gone to investors to get like are we, is this what you're telling us right now? <laughs> yeah basically yeah this is my plan my 10-year plan. <laughs> but Sheena I just I, I wanna I wanna kind of just slap you across the face because why? <laughs> You, you you keep saying you're too much. Do you understand that you just sold us this absolute dream space <laughs> that doesn't exist? Like, this is not too much. This is actually too little. Like, this is a start because one of these should exist in every city. One yeah. of these should exist in every country. Like, it's not like... I mean, it feels like you're asking for, you know, heaven and earth <laughs> um, because th- this is this is something that, that you're going to have to fight for. But I need you to stop saying that you're too much. And I don't know, I don't know if you've been told this before, <laughs> But like there was parts of that I've always dreamt of having like this big queer hotel where everyone just comes and lives with me because I'm obsessed with everyone in my life. Yeah. And I'm quite clingy. Um, oh, also my cat would have to live in the ca- in the cafe. Absolutely. Like it can't be, a, it's not a cat cafe because like you can't have multiple cats because she would hate that. But mm, she yeah. wouldn't be able to cope with me getting all the attention and her not getting any of it. So. No, but just one one cat works. Yeah. No, no cafe cat. is complete without one exactly. cat, right? Yeah, exactly. 
they have realized that they've become lesbians and over people have left their partners people have realized that they are like bi or lesbian people have realized they have attraction to women like you can be if you're part of tiktok like lesbian tiktok you kind of don't even know that the rest of tiktok exists like your the algorithm is so like intense that it's literally just like another woman and another woman and another woman yeah. and more lesbians and here's a lesbian making bread and oh shout out to <laughs> hannah tick hannah breadtop because she is beautiful woman um and then here's some lesbians who've like moved in together during lockdown and now they're in love and here's a post a lesbian post woman and she's hot as well she's from wales and that like <laughs> here's this lesbian here's this lesbian you're just sitting there going like holy shit it's just lesbians everywhere so which is just the joy the lesbian agenda is in full effect yeah it's all on tiktok it's, re it's really interesting because when I was last with you, I've seen, we went through my TikTok and like, it's just dogs. It actually is. <laughs> and that's that's quite problematic, right? Because I love looking at boys, but I like looking at dogs more. I just think they, they don't argue back. They don't do problematic shit. Like they just, well, some dogs do. But my dog, my, my dog is full of TikTok. My TikTok is full of dogs <laughs> and dog I live for it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I also really love about lesbian TikTok is how inclusive it is. That it's really inclusive in terms of size. It's really inclusive in terms of gender. It's really inclusive in terms of gender presentation. You know, you've got people who are much more butch, people much more femme, people who are um, bi. There's a whole bi pirate thing, which I don't really understand, but it's really cool. Okay. Like, there's bits of this and it's like really celebratory of non-bi binary people um, and of trans women and mm. like I think that just shows that the future of younger queer people is so much more inclusive and will hopefully fix all of these issues that we've just discussed because hopefully yeah hopefully I, I've, I've had this conversation a few times is that TikTok is the space and the platform um, and I mean this in the least offensive way possible but for all the weirdos that just <laughs> didn't have a voice before it's like Tumblr and video form right and 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 the most odd like some of the videos you watch are just mind-blowing and you're just so confused why are they why are these people doing it but like it's so impressive and invest like you just invest so much time into all i can describe is like absolute weird video content yeah hmm. uh and and i think that's why it's so inclusive because no matter who you are and where you come from people live for it yeah and i love that yeah it's just about what people are passionate about i think a lot of the time it's like the yeah. um, bread person I was talking about, Hannah, Hannah Breadtalks, her TikTok name. And she just she's a bread maker who just started making loaves of bread and filming herself making sourdough. And she's somehow become one of the most popular lesbians on the platform. You know, like she's completely taken over. It, it's just people love watching people be passionate about things. I think people are really passionate to see people live their authentic lives. And that's mm. why so much queer content does so well on there. So this Hannah Bread Talk, mm -hmm. would you call her a celeb? Celebian, yeah. Celebian. Getting your lingo down, Missine. Yeah, thank you. I did a bit of research. <laughs> wow. Celebian is a celebrity lesbian. It there is. you go. Yeah. Is that an official term? Uh, it is now. I don't know. My friend used to send me like weekly updates on celebians in the music industry. <laughs> the way you just said it now, it sounds like it's a real word. Yeah. She used to be like. So I've been speaking to the lesbian in the office about the lesbians, and I think you might want to know about so-and-so dating so-and-so. And I was like, sure. <laughs> I love. It's going to be like Oxford Dictionary's word of the year. <laughs> I'm calling it. We now have a section on words that do exist. These are all real words, so that's, that's great. 
Um, and we wanted Sheena to help us and our listeners understand what they mean. So we've already covered Celesbian, which thankfully wasn't on the list. Unfortunately, we didn't come up with some great name like Aphrodite or Butch Please, because me and Mufseen are not the brains of the operation. But thankfully, we have Sheena here with us today, who is the lesbian brain, um, and the all-knowing lesbian, and the all-seeing lesbian. Um, and we're very grateful for that. So, um... I think we should just jump straight in before we say anything else. I think you else might have to I give really... Sheena a minute to uh, process what you just called her. <laughs> Is that lesbian. bad? <laughs> all seeing lesbian. <laughs> Are you not? Uh, apparently I am now. <laughs> okay, so obviously I write I write the captions and the bios and stuff for the episode. Do you know how many people we're going to have to tag this week? Because Sheena keeps shouting out every lesbian that ever existed. She is the all-seeing lesbian. Sheena is a wealth of knowledge, I'll tell you that. I don't think I don't think my title was wrong. I think Sheena should be crowned the all-seeing okay. lesbian. I'm sure there are other lesbians and they're all okay. wonderful. They are. But right now we're here with Sheena and I'm just going to big her up. Thanks. No, I thought that was your birthday gift to Sheena. Um, <laughs> a new title. I genuinely meant it. Oh, bless you. I hope to see it on the top of your CV. Yeah, I'll, I'll change it. Okay, back to business. <laughs> Lesbian slang. Let's just jump straight in. Um, so the first one, which might seem nice and easy, but not all of our listeners are completely up to scratch with their lesbian slang, I'm sure. Um, so what is the difference between butch and femme? So, um, again, this has a long history that things have changed slightly, but originally butch was, um, it, they were more about lifestyles than necessarily just how you look. Um, and there are some theorists who believe that butch and femme are gender identities. But butch is people who have a more masculine presentation um, and femme, more feminine presentation. But originally it was also about gender roles, but I think that that's definitely kind of not a thing so much anymore. There was one piece of research that I can't remember where it was from, but it was said that 95% of American lesbians identified with the terms butch and femme, but also felt that also the same amount felt that the words butch and femme didn't really have an impact on their life. So like while they knew right. who was butch or femme, it didn't really matter to them. You weren't categorizing people in that way. Because I think originally people, it was like butch femme relationships were quite a big thing. Like a lot of early second wave feminists felt was aping heterosexual relationships. But mm -hmm. I think that it goes so much deeper than that. I've seen a lot of people describe butch as masculinity that has nothing to do with cis men. It's like, it's a form of masculinity that has absolutely nothing to do with cis masculinity. That yeah. is, but it's also not, there's also always a thing thrown at butch women that they are trans, women, trans men who don't know that they're trans, hmm. but it's not. There's like definitely a separate type of masculinity that people tap into whilst being very female. Yeah. And I think that's the tricky thing about butchness that is something that only butch women really get. And I don't even really get it because I'm kind of futch, somewhere between butch and femme. Futch. <laughs> yeah, futch. Stop trying to make futch happen, Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so would you say butch and femme are outdated terms or is this still quite used There's in the community? Still used within the community, but I think that there's it's not a dichotomy dichotomy anymore there's like as i said futch a dichotomy <laughs> yeah did you just say <laughs> yeah dichotomy yeah nice one um the i wouldn't say that there's like the only things that people identify as anymore mm. that's like much broader and a lot of people just don't identify as either but i think that femme lesbians tend to be seen as more invisible within the community maybe because femme 
lesbians are kind of like straight passing because yeah. they are adhering to the typical gender presentation gender. yeah i think that there's been a lot of writing written on that this isn't quick fire at all um there's <laughs> been a lot of writing <laughs> written on um whether femme lesbians pass or whether that is a negative thing that they're yeah. invisible or are they passing is it a good thing is it a bad thing is it kind of but it people with much more much bigger brains than me have written a lot on that um and there's some really interesting things to read there's a really interesting article in the new york times i'll send you a link to it so you can link it in the instagram or whatever but it's um all about butch and stem women in butch and studs in popular culture um yeah. and it's a really interesting article that has a lot of the history of the terminology around butch so we'll make the rest quick fire mm-hmm. you've laid the groundwork for us <laughs> So the next term is lipstick lesbian. And how does that differ to femme? Yeah, see, again, uh, it's not going to be quick fair. <laughs> lipstick lesbians are like the kind of extreme end of femininity. But, or that was kind of how it started in the 80s. And then like in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was almost like Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl of like straight women who would kiss women in pubs to titillate men so it was lesbianism for the male gaze um but then it's been reclaimed again back to femme lesbians which is a great thing because nothing about lesbianism should ever be for the male gaze so yeah hey man the next one is a gold star lesbian one of my least favorite terms ever lesbians who've never slept with men and the trouble with this one just for quickly non quick fire is that (laughs) compulsory heterosexuality is a real thing in the female queer community that makes women feel that they feel attraction or should feel attraction to men because women are told that other women don't enjoy sex don't really like men that heterosexual relationships are not really all that but you have to do it so even if you don't feel sexual attraction to men and even if you don't enjoy sex you're kind of told that everybody doesn't enjoy sex every woman doesn't enjoy sex so it's not that you might fancy women it's even if you do it's that you just men are just a bit shit which you know um but <laughs> it's, like, it's like society's telling you accept defeat yeah and when you fancy women it's like well i you know i was like do i, I wanted i thought i wanted to be girls i thought that like oh she's so pretty i want to look like her but no i didn't i wanted to sleep with her but mm. it's like you know girls are allowed to say that other girls are pretty girls are allowed to find other girls attractive without it being sexual but also you're told that you probably don't find men that attractive anyway so a lot of women come to lesbianism later in life come to their sexuality later in life and when people try to put gold star lesbians above other lesbians and try to make out that because they haven't slept with men that they're better lesbians or that lesbians who have slept with men or bisexual women will somehow want to be with men. It's all a bit weird to me because if you've ever dated a man and then you date a woman, you know that you're never going to go back to dating a man. (laughs) Or potentially will if you're actually bisexual and not a lesbian. That's super interesting because I've just learned a new term. Thank you. Compulsory heterosexuality. Um, And also the second thing I wanted to say is obviously gold star gay exists and platinum gay. And there's a thing about the gay community I really don't like is whenever someone says something like, oh, ew, pussy, oh, ew, vagina... And that really bugs me because I'm like, that's quite misogynist <laughs> as a gay man to say that. So I feel like there's some parallel there. Yeah, but there is almost that same thing of like, if you've slept with a man, 
then like dick is so good that you're gonna want to go back to a guy and I'm just like no I slept with men because I thought that it was the thing I should do but I didn't enjoy it and like just because I've slept with men doesn't mean that I <laughs> mean any of them are any good in bed <laughs> sorry to sorry anyone any I ever dated <laughs> I know I noticed you've stopped giving shout outs now Sheena we've, <laughs> we've stopped we've stopped dropping names um and and I'm kind of gutted about that, but I think I think the men in the men involved or the men in question will be very grateful. It's been a long time. Mm. I doubt they're still listening. <laughs> Thank you for that insight. <laughs> uh, next word you mentioned it earlier as well. Stud. So stud is term used for another another term used for masculine women, but it tends to be used much more by the African American community. Um, stud, like the stud aesthetic, comes much more from like hip hop than it does from a general masculinity mm. so t- studs tend to be much more dapper than traditional butch presentation but it's right. become something that's, that's used a lot more by just younger lesbians in general which i quite have an issue with because to me it's appropriating a word that was used that was created because pe- women of color who were masculine felt excluded from a very white second wave feminism lesbian community that existed at the time and so created their own terminology in their own community and I kind of feel like that being taken by younger white lesbians is something that I have an issue with but it doesn't seem to be something that younger women of colour have an issue with so it's on them to have the issue or not so it's not really on me but from like a queer history perspective I find it a little bit uncomfortable. Interesting. But then that also leads to where I called myself Futch if you use the word stud, people tend to call themselves stem rather than futch because it's stud and femme. But to me, stem means oh. science, technology, mathematics. Yeah. and <laughs> You said stem earlier as well, and I assumed it meant science, technology. Yeah, no. <laughs> Took me a long um, time on TikTok to realise that people weren't just lesbians who are really into science. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sheena, what is a drag king? Drag king is anybody who performs drag as a masculine presentation because it's not just women who can be drag kings. You can have non-binary drag kings and you can have men can be drag kings just like women can be drag queens. So that that term shouldn't have been in the lesbian slang category then. (laughs) Um, It's a very good uh, point that you just made because obviously we've got trans drag queens in RuPaul. Mm -hmm getting representation and it's important to know that both ways drag king drag queen anyone can do it regardless of gender sexuality you know whatever yeah it's almost like drag king and queen are are art forms yeah and anyone can step into those roles yeah for sure like there are women who perform drag as drag queens like biologically women who identify as women who Hmm. perform like stella marbles who performs as a drag queen and then there are i don't know if there are any male drag kings because i've never met one but i've definitely met non-binary drag kings so i wouldn't want to uh, i wouldn't want people to associate drag kings with just lesbians but there are some incredibly hot lesbian drag kings do you want to name drop them uh one who's got the best name i've ever seen which was zane phallic yes (laughs) (laughs) so moving on to the final word okay and it is sapphic sapphic is a kind of catch-all term for female queerness that comes from the poet Sappho, who was a Greek poet who wrote a lot about her love for women. And for a long time, a lot of historians have said, well, well, you know, she had a husband, but her husband's name from Greek 
translated as John Alcox from Cock Island. So I think it might have been a joke. (laughs) 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 She wrote a lot about loving women and her poetry is a lot of young queer women's kind of first time experiencing somebody writing about sapphic love. With a very poetic origin. But it's also a great term because it can be used for bi women. It can be used for... I was just uh, about to ask. Yeah, so it's a catch-all term that can be used for wider than just being lesbian. So a lot yeah. of, it's almost like queer for just female-identifying people who fancy other female-identifying people as well as other people if they want to. The word sapphic is just... It's one of those words it's just beautiful to say. Mm. <laughs> like, you know, like cellar door. Yeah. It's, it, it is very much one of those words that... <laughs> It just sounds nice to say. Yeah, it's a word that I kind of wish that we used more because it's a really cool. And I really like the fact that it harkens back to Sappho and her poetry. Sheena, I've said it once and I'll say it again. (laughs) You're the all-seeing, (laughs) all-knowing lesbian. And we're so glad to have you here today. On your birthday! Happy birthday! Okay, so the final, it's less of a question because this isn't for you to tell us. Um, This is for us to kind of discuss as a collective. But as cis gay men, myself and Mufsin that is, um, what do we think we should be doing better to be better allies to lesbians and bisexuals in the spaces we mentioned before? So, you know, at Pride, in queer spaces, etc, etc. I mean, my first thing for anybody in being an ally is to actively listen to the people you want to be an ally to, you know, I think allyship is a verb. It's something that you have to constantly be doing and working at. And active listening is something that we should all also be trying to do. So, you know, give people, open up, give people the space and actively work on being better, which is something that I do as a white woman to people of colour, that I do as a cis woman to my trans siblings, and something that as a disabled woman, but not visibly disabled and not deeply affecting my life disabled due to people who have other and harder disabilities to deal with than I do. Something I've picked up in this conversation that I think we should do is to remind people who think they're being too much (laughs) or who doubt themselves to not to not say that and to not do that because like I said everything you say is completely valid and if we should be listening to you you should believe in what you're telling us right? This is true. So, um, yeah, I think less less doubting yourself, Sheena. You've been a lesbian for a very long time. (laughs) You're the all-knowing lesbian, so you shouldn't doubt yourself. This is true. I also think that every gay man needs a lesbian friend. I think that Absolutely. gay men are better when they have lesbian friends. I saw are some... you looking at me? I know you've got, you say you've, that? you've got a lesbian best friend. I have you. Exactly. I saw somebody describe the new series as drag race, of Drag Race as the people... Because obviously they've split the queens into kind of two groups at the moment. And the group that's currently kind of being focused on, somebody described them as gay men who have no female friends. And it kind of, I was like, oh, that's really harsh, but I can see what you mean. And I think that there are, I, I've met many gay men who have no female friends or no queer female friends, because a lot of them will have straight female friends. And yeah. I think that having queer female friends makes gay men better people. Yeah, but whoever said that about the drag queens, it's a harsh <laughs> yeah. read. Yeah, really harsh Very read. Very harsh read. I'm sure they can cope with it. It's fine. They've 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 heard worse. I'm sure they have. 
I think, um, bearing this in mind, don't be going out now and getting your token lesbian from the supermarket <laughs> uh, or online. Like, make sure that you invest in these people. Yes. And you make actual relationships and friendships and connections with them. Yes. Um, as much as we all need a lesbian, you know, they're not just for Christmas. They're for, oh, yeah. Exactly. Not just for pride. It can be really hard to be an ally. It can be really uncomfortable to hear things sometimes that, reflect you that other people that you've done or that other people have done that make somebody's life harder it can be so hard but it's so worth doing and I'm not saying that I'm perfect there are many situations where I could be a better ally to other people but every time we fall down is an opportunity to get back up and be stronger rather than to give up there's a lot to be said as well for where we show our allyship because we do live a lot of our lives out on social media but I don't want to be critiqued for not you know making a post about something that's going on or posting you know the the our actions and our conversations in real life are just as important as how we perform online mm-hmm. yeah if if someone doesn't look like they're doing the work online that's not uh, grounds enough for you to start critiquing them for not being an ally. No, for sure. For some people, social media is an escape from real life, an escape from the pressures of what they're doing every day. You know, you don't know what somebody does in their day job. You don't know what somebody's doing all the time. They might be constantly working and fighting for their community, but then they come online and all they want to do is post gifts from Drag Race or whatever. You know, they might not want to be having to continue fighting on social media as well. That's what I do. I just post topless pictures because I'm doing it out for my real life. (laughs) And I hope no one looks up my social media and thinks, oh, is he really doing pride work? Because he's just always in the mirror. Just a bit self-involved. <laughs> but that's not what you are at all. That's only like a, a slither of yeah, my personality. Exactly. Um, I should probably put different things out there. Anyway. <laughs> I think it's quite a big chunk of your personality because your personality is a sliver. Rude. So we are done. Once again, happy birthday, Sheena. Here's to the next <clears throat> number of years that you're going to be with us on the planet. And I can't wait for that. That is the end of episode 20. I, I can't believe we've done 20 episodes, which is a bit chaotic, and we're, we're still winging it, so that's nice too. We're not winging it, Spencer. There's 20 episodes of me walking around the park arguing with you two where you can't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> and a huge thank you to all of our listeners for sticking with us for all 20 episodes, and to those of you who didn't stick with us for all 20 episodes... Um. Yeah. No, thank you to you. But <laughs> if you're not here, I've got nothing to say to you because you're not here. And if you're new, then this is the opportunity to go back and listen to twenty episodes. Go straight back to episode one. Thank you. But it's actually been lovely to have you, Sheena, here. You're one of my favourite people, um, if not the favourite people. And Spencer's all right too. I meant in London. <laughs> you know, I... oh, wow. <laughs> For our listeners who would, of course, love to follow you, where can they find you on social media? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at SheenBlogsStuff and they can find me on Instagram at Sheena2 underscores is. Don't forget to let us know what you thought about the episode on Instagram and Twitter. We are on Instagram at Queer underscore Talk and on Twitter we are Queer Talk underscore. Until next time. Bye. 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 Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.